Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sanderlanch podcast. This week, we are covering Mistborn, The Well of Ascension, chapters 5, 6, and 7, wherein Vin gets a new pet, sort of. Vin and Ham have a fight, sort of. And Sazed meets up with an old friend who has spikes through his eyes. So, I'm Data. With me, as usual, is... Jack. Jamie. They call me Mr. Tibbs. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's just Joe. <laughs> Joe Tibbs. Okay, everybody, hold on to something. The Sanderlanch is about to begin. Elders, tellers, keepers of the bottom, treasures of the dirt. Russian string, we scribble and sing, and dig for the animals of the earth. And we try, try, try to keep a little beauty in the world. All that die, 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 we keep it in our hands. Yeah, so we got some not super like actiony chapters exactly but some interesting stuff happening what did you guys think of these three chapters that poor dog <laughs> <laughs> that's it <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah there, like yeah, there was a, there was a bit going on it was good to see some of the band coming back together we get to see uh clubs we get to see spook we get to see spook talking normally <laughs> he does yeah. and and uh marsh supposedly shows up that was deeply confusing, that bit. Uh, yeah, I just spent a lot of time feeling bad first for the dog and then for Sazed. I'm like, the dog because of what happened to it. And then Sazed because uh, he's he's just like, oh, things are better now. So now like things will go the way I've always planned them to. And then he realizes no one actually cares about what he cares about. I'm like, oh, man, I've been there. I feel bad for you. It's funny you say that about the dog, because the very first thing in the annotations on this chapter is one of my writing groups had an intense reaction against Vin killing the dog in this scene. I'm not sure still why they got so upset, but they really didn't like it that she killed a dog, quote unquote, in cold blood. So her I'm sorry about this in her head is there for them. At least now they know she wish she, she kind of wishes she didn't have to do it. The dog had it coming, though. He says. It took me a minute with the the dog. I was like, oh, weird alpha move, Vin. Like, just <laughs> <laughs> teaching this dog his box. <laughs> and, then, and then she was like, oh, okay, here's your new body. And I was like, oh, no. So <laughs> I see you what think, you did there. You think she really just wanted a pet dog and we weren't getting any of the background on it when she started? Yeah, kind of. Kind of. I was like, go for the gonna... cute puppy. <laughs> like she names it Reen. <laughs> Well, like, specifically this this one, a big, ugly bully of a pet. Well, she could do that. I just, yeah, I don't think I was on the same wavelength of what she was doing. <laughs> but it makes yeah. sense, you know, for everyone except the Kandra. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't happy. Yeah, good chapters again. A lot, um, just lots of little things. It was nice to see everyone sort of coming back. We still don't know what's going on with Breeze, where he's run off to. Really exciting to get to the end of the chapters and have Marsh come in and sort of confirm that, yep, the mists are here in the daytime. So I was sort of thinking, yep, this is there's not really a lot happening here, but just that nice little hook for for what's coming next. So yeah, yeah these chapters were kind of kind of deep in some mystery, especially near the end. I honestly didn't know what Vin was buying that dog for. 
And then when she punched it, I'm saying with Jamie, I was like, I didn't realize that was the dog dying. And then uh, I thought she just like knocked it out and she was going to take it to do something with it. And then I was like, whoa, wait, uh, I guess that dog's dead. Okay. But uh, other than that, I think the most interesting thing to me about these chapters was definitely uh, the end with Sazed and Marsh, um, which we'll get into. But um, I'm excited to see where the where the new mysteries are taking us. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to look now because I felt like that wasn't her killing the dog either. And then I'm like, well, do we see later that she does kill the dog? Of course, the contract said that he the contract says it can't be required. She can't make it kill a person. So maybe she can tell it. it's like, oh, you have to kill that dog and eat it. And that's kind of what I was thinking. Either way, it's kind of vicious on Ben's part because it's like she's either killing it herself or she's letting the conjure kill it. One or the mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, people, uh, everyone feels bad for the dog. Apparently the dog deserves it, according to Brandon. So I, he was a, a rude dog, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you can tell there's like indecision in her eyes when he brings the first dog over because she's like, she looks into its eyes and it looks all happy. And she's like, <laughs> no, I can't. I can't do it to this dog. I thought she just wanted a really big dog so that her conjure would have be a big dog. <laughs> so she's like, no, I don't want your little puppy. That's not not what I'm going for here. It's like, no, no, the last, like, the last thing we need is to kill the cute little puppy and have John Wick on my ass. <laughs> <laughs> you can't kill a puppy. That's, no. Yeah. Okay, I guess let's get into these chapters and, and the, dog, the dog murder that is uh, that's to come here. R- really, the epigraph on this first one is he's just like, yep, I'm the one who betrayed Lendy. Uh, I know now that he must never be allowed to complete his quest. Ooh. Bum, bum, bum. So- so what? He said, hey, Rashak, do me, do me a solid, will you? He's 50 bucks. Maybe. <laughs> it, we, we don't know. Does he, if he knows Rashak, it totally... Uh, that uh, that would have worked out really well for Rashak in the end, I guess. He was the Lord Ruler for a thousand years. So yeah, that 50 bucks went a long way. Um, <laughs> okay, so we get Vin walking through the marketplace, which is now like this really bustling. The ska have money now, so they have money to spend. So there's lots of people selling stuff. And even the urchins seem happier as they go around trying to like pickpockets and things. Uh, we get some more talk about she. She's still trying to figure out her place. She's like, "Am I a noble woman? You know, I was I was trained by the survivor of Hathson, and my mom was a crazy ska who gave me this earring and killed my sister. Basically, the same old Vin stuff. She's always like, "Man, my life's been weird." I had a, I think it was in this part. So she says for the first time, killed her full sister and then talks about Reen as her half brother. Was this the first time we'd spoken about Reen being a half brother? Like Hmm. in the text? That's actually a good question. I don't, I don't remember if it's mentioned in the first book. Oh, she does. She, I just searched the, the final empire. And in one of the very early chapters, she says, I was raised by my half brother, Reen. Okay. Hmm. So, but, but then I'm trying to remember in the final empire, does he point out to Vidian and say, that's your dad? Or does he point out to Vidian and say, that's our dad? No, she, he, she says that Reen told her that was her dad. We had some talk about whether or not it was also Reen's dad, but I, I don't think it's ever made explicit where Reen's like, that's your yeah. dad, not, not my dad. But she doesn't say it as, it as in Reen said that was our dad. She says that Reen said that was her dad. Whether or not it was okay. his, I don't think we get it. Right. Yeah. So again, I guess, but I guess if that's her full sister and Tavidian really was her dad, 
that goes back to my other point. Like, how did t- I could understand maybe Tavidia not knowing about one child, but not knowing about two? That just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, he did know about children because the Lord Ruler was like, did she bear children? And he said yes. What he didn't know was that the woman was a ska was at first. And so when he found oh, okay. out she was a ska, then he went and had them killed. Probably, if she'd been a noble woman, then, you know, he wouldn't mind having some illegitimate children around that might turn out to be powerful alamancers. Just like uh, Kelsier and Marsh were for, raised as, like, illegitimate but noble children until the guy found out about their mom. Mm, yep. I think we're just looking for a Days of Our Lives mystery in there. <laughs> <laughs> we still want the Lord Ruler to be uh, shacking up with Vin's mom somehow. Yeah. Uh, never mind. On the topic, do we know how much, like, the, the younger sister who died, how much mm. older was Vin than her? Do, like, has that been confirmed at any point? I feel like they made it sound like in the first book she was a baby, but hold on, let me see if there's any details about that. Yeah, they, I think they definitely said she was a baby, but they never said how old Vin was at the time, I don't, I don't think. Yeah, she says she killed my baby sister, so definitely it was a baby. Um, I mean, like, depending on how big the age gap is between Vin and the sister, that would also sound like, Tavidian, what were you doing? How long did you not know this woman was a scar? Hmm... Yeah, it seems like uh, some women are really slick and get away with it for a long time. Because, yeah, like, Kelsier and Marsh were raised, I guess, most of their childhood as, like, noble. Yeah. yeah. Well, if she wants, like, no, noble children, it's possible that she, like, you know, got pregnant with Vin, hid for nine months, and then came back to see him again, and then they were on and off for a long time or something. It's possible, I guess. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, I bet, I bet I could figure it out from this Wikipedia, because it tells the year that Vin's sister died. And so if it says the year Vin was born, that would give us... Oh, yeah. See, we're, we're diving deep now. So she was five, according to this, when her sister died. Okay. Which, that that about That fits. seems that's, right. That's, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the kind of age where you're Old like, enough I barely to remember. remember. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, ah, back to the book that we're actually reading. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry for the detoral. Sorry, guy. Back to the part about the bronze earring is the only memento of her mother. Uh, her half brother did this thing. Sometimes she feels like a nobleman. Sometimes not a noble woman, rather. Sometimes she feels like a nut. Sometimes you don't. She looks <laughs> at the, the ball gown shop and she's like, "Oh man, ball gowns. I remember those. Not really useful right now, though." And then we get to the part where uh, there's a guy tailing her very badly. <laughs> Uh, so what do you guys think of uh, how this goes? And she has a new title. She is Lady Air. <laughs> yeah, it was awkward, right? I mean, when when it when it said in the book that he was tailing her but very poorly, I was like, okay, well, this guy wants her to notice him, I guess. And then when more people started following her, I was like, oh, no. And then it, it was just like, yep, they worship her because she killed the Lord Ruler. And uh, now they want her to be whatever the god the new god i don't know it's just it's awkward she has her own cult i guess it's no surprise though that that's how some people react to go from putting your faith into something so uh for such a long time like the lord ruler and then to have that taken away it's like well that's what i believed in for the longest time where are you going to put all of that faith and energy and so it kind of makes sense that there would be a sect like this Rough of in though, I just 
picture, you know, life of Brian and Brian's running around and trying to get away <laughs> and they're all like, you know, give him your shoe. You know, that's that's kind of what I saw here. <laughs> Poor Vin. <laughs> yeah. For somebody who doesn't like attention, it's definitely the opposite of what is good. Super um, uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's Kelsier's fault, as she kind of mentions. It's like that's this was kind of his intention was to build his legacy up to a point where people thought he was unkillable and unstoppable and um, so that he could turn himself into a movement or a religion. And that's what's happened now. There's a religion around yeah. the events that happened when the Lord Ruler fell. So. Yeah, I mean, it was the belief in Kelsier and this, like, religious kind of fervor that led them to overthrow the Lord Ruler in the first place. So it kind of makes sense that there would be a religion coming out of that. And uh, Vin is not comfortable with her place in that religion, which who would be, really? Mm. From from the end of the last book, Vin didn't want to be that. She was like, please don't record that. <laughs> nope, yep. I don't, I, don't, right. I don't want to be that person that everyone believes in and comes to and... This is not what she wanted at all, and she got it anyway. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think that any any of us thought she was going to be successful in hiding the fact that she was the no. one who did this. But, no. Yeah. It, it sort it sort of lends credence to the whole, you know, the Mistborn keep their um, I have always kept their identities secret, even when the Final Empire was still in swing. Like all the all the various Mistborn in the houses, no one knew who each of them were. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like this this is just that taken to its logical extreme. Like, we've seen how the Scar respond to people with full-on um, misborn powers. Like, look at how Yedin responded when Kelsia did his little demonstration. Now that yep. the Scar know that not only is there a misborn, but she that she fought for them and she liberated the ty- uh, them from the Tyrant King. And of course, they're going to start worshipping her as though, like, because she can do all these incredible things that they just see as far above them. They see her as something other. It's like, uh, you should have done the Mistborn thing, kept your identity secret there, girl. <laughs> I didn't even thought of that. That's a good point, is that she has crazy magical powers. So in addition to having been the one who killed the Lord Ruler, it's like, also, she's magic. So yeah, I was trying to think, like, who on the team would be comfortable with all of a sudden being, you know, like a religious figure. And I was like, maybe Breeze. Breeze would be like, yeah, I am pretty great. That was the You're joke right. I was going to make. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. <laughs> but yeah, these uh, these people they want Vin touching their babies, and um, they're like the priests say that you'll stop the army and that the soldiers won't be able to enter the city while you're here. And she's just like, uh uh-huh. uh, okay, I'm gonna go now. So I get it, but I'm like, come on, Vin, just give him a little hope. Well, that was it. She was wondering about, what's my place in, like, the new world order at the moment? And then this happens. She's like, oh, God, is this my place in the new world order? I don't want that place. I want the place that's quiet and nobody pays attention to me. (laughs) And then she goes to uh, buy a puppy from the puppy merchant. I don't know if he has other kinds of animals or if he strictly deals in puppies. But uh, so we know there's dogs in this world. I don't know if we knew that already, actually. Uh, And she's looking for a wolfhound. I don't know if any of you guys have read the the uh, the Iron Druid Chronicles, but there's a wolfhound who's the main character in that, and those dogs are giant, like I really have, enormous. I have read that one. He was ah. the best character. Oh yeah, the dog is the best character, obviously. Yep. So she's like, I want a wolfhound. And he tries to bring her like some cute. To, she's like, No, no, no. Here, I'm just I'm gonna go over here, and I want this one in the back. How much? And the guy's like, No, no, no. That's like a super ferocious monster dog. 
that you let loose on the grounds at night to kill anyone who comes in. And she's like, good, that's exactly uh, the kind of animal I want. And so apparently this guy doesn't know who she is, or he wouldn't be like, no, come on, don't you want a puppy? That is way too big for you. Maybe she should have brought her entourage of, like, hangers <laughs> on. Yeah. Could have gotten a discount. You don't know. I don't think money's really an issue for her anymore. Well, I think she talks about it in this chapter, actually, is that she's, it's like spending, like, it's different from when she was spending the crew's money. Now she's spending Ellen's money, which is the people's money, basically. And she wasn't like, oh, terribly right, comfortable right, yeah. about that. I don't know how much dogs cost, but <laughs> yeah, she's she's got her entourage there, and she and she's like, all right, he, watch your taxpayer dollars at work here, boys. <laughs> the way it describes it, she punches him in the side of the head, and he wobbles and falls unconscious. So it doesn't sound like she's murdering the dog right there. Well, not right there, but you know. Actually, yeah, like looking at the next paragraph, it says like she gets in, goes to Orisur, and slams the unconscious wolf onto the floor. So it sounds like the dog. Had to, like um, Arasua had to kill the dog. I wonder if it, like if he just if he kills it first, or if he like just starts eating it and at some point it dies. Like that's that's kind oh, of horrifying god. actually. Oh god. Yeah, I I almost wish she had just killed the dog with her fist instead. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah. sounds horrible. No, that's not good. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, what's worse, shooting a dog and putting it out of its misery, or taking it to the pound and letting them put it down? Like it's they're both bad. I have no idea how painful it is when they put them down. I think it's supposed to not be super painful, but they say that about execution of humans too. And apparently that doesn't work as well as uh, it's supposed to. So who knows? I I do like that. She gets up to her rooms and Orser is just like in his all in his mangled body, just kind of lying there. And he, he'd made it back to the rooms at some point during the night. Like, what do the gods think of that? Like, do any do any of them spot this mangled half-human sort of form crawling in through the window? Just going, oh god, it's happening again. That's a really good point. Like, she's she she mentions that I guess he's being he's seen as her steward, and she's like, it'll look weird if I just keep changing stewards. So I've been telling people I was thinking about dismissing you for a while. So do they think that like her steward is just like crawling down the hall? Like, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> It's like, mm. I fired him. Was that before or after you broke all his bones? Yeah. <laughs> he made a move on me, so couldn't let that uh, stand. Mm. And Orstor is not happy about this dog body. And he's like, uh, this is, this is, I, I don't like this. You're going to have to order me by the contract to do this if you really want me to do it. And she's like, okay, you're commanded. Now, how long is it going to take? Yeah, this is really just not. The, the more I read of Orisua, the more I'm just like, the second, like, your contract is going to run out at some point in this book in some way, and uh, you, and as soon as it does, you're going to turn on Vin for everything she's done. Yeah, he continues yeah, to definitely seem not, like not a big fan. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, it, it, it's hard to blame him on some level, because Vin is not nice to him, but... Uh, oh, and then uh, we find out that there's a package and a letter waiting for her, which is just, like, another... Uh, another wrinkle in their relationship where she's like, why didn't you tell me this package came for me? You know how much I'm waiting for this. And he's like, oh, well, you didn't command me to tell you if any packages arrived. Mm-hmm. At which point it's like, dude, just just come on. But uh, she has been working uh, with this metallurgist to find whatever the uh, alloy of aluminum is. And I, I don't know. Did we talk about it last time? Uh, what aluminum did? I no, don't, I think I, that came up in this chapter. Or okay. the next one. Yeah. I, I don't remember if I if it was mentioned at the time or if I told you guys at the time, 
that like when they made her swallow a metal and it got rid of all of her other metals that that was aluminum but uh, yeah that's what that was and so she's like we know this one there's got to be an alloy to it we know that's how it works so we're looking to find out what it is and we find out in a little bit that there are this guy's like yeah there's about 40 different alloys that we could try and she's just going one at a time trying them out and we see docs docs and ellender hanging out and trying real hard to get along like they're being overly nice to each other because they don't like each other which is kind of sad because we love Doxon, and we're okay with ellen right <laughs> well i feel like ellen doesn't really have a problem with Doxon except for the problem that dox has with him mm, that is kind of the way it comes across yeah yeah which I guess shouldn't be a shock. We knew for a long time that Doxon was on the all noblemen deserve to die train. Yeah. I don't know. Like when he, when he first met Ellen back in the last book, like it seemed like, you know, they were just like, I recognize that you, that we could be on the same side here. And it seemed like, but maybe that was just because the battle was going down. They didn't have time to argue back and forth. Now that they've, they've had that time. They're just like, yes, I really don't like you. I don't think Doxon liked him a whole lot from the beginning. He's just like, man, this guy's difficult to have a conversation with. They're like in the middle of talking and Ellen got distracted by something shiny. Yeah, true. But yeah, then Vin and Ellen have a conversation about how they don't really get along, but they're trying. And he's like, is that a, is that a new perfume? Which is, <laughs> this, this is a hilarious interaction <laughs> after the discussion we just had about the perfumes. I don't think At least he's taking expected. notice that she smells different. Yeah. And that, that was his whole thing in that previous chapter. was like, she gets upset if I don't notice when she's trying out a new perfume. <laughs> trying to be nice, even though it's probably horrible. Yeah, he's he's like, I was worried that you departed from your senses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I wonder how, how, if that was actually a perfume, how he would have handled that. Where She's like, oh, yeah, this is a new perfume. What do you think? And he's like, um, it's different. <laughs> it's like there's no right answer here, mate. No, no. Oh, goodness. And then he's like, actually, I'm a little bit disappointed that you're not wearing dog-scented perfume. With your social station, it might become a new trend. Yes, latest fashion, wet dog smell. I mean, yeah, you know, if if uh, the heir to the survivor is uh, wearing this new thing, then everyone might be on board. Depending on who you stand t- out. Well, yeah. And then they, Ellen has a discussion about how it's it's much better for him if people can't tell when he's being an idiot and when he's being a genius. Oh, Ellen, you're you're still not real good at this, I feel like, but uh, you're trying. You sure are trying. Yeah. And Ellen is wondering if the dog Conjure will be able to keep up with her at night. And she's like, I don't really want to take him. He doesn't really like me. Which I can understand Vin's thing. She's like, I don't necessarily want him with me. But And we get down to, once again, she's like, he ate Kelsier. Which I'm with Ellen. It's like, you gotta get over that, kid. Like, Kelsier hired the guy to eat him you can't blame orsor really yeah i mean that's what he does that is like the type of creature that he is that is the thing that he does mm-hmm. so she says she didn't get along with him well even when he was renu and she was valet which yeah i mean i feel like they didn't get along badly they just weren't buddies i mean like he just he just played the part and uh, didn't do much else. Like, he was just the distracted uncle figure. It's, that was kind of his role. I feel like I would have mixed feelings, though, if someone that I cared for had been eaten by the bone blob <laughs> thing. <laughs> like, I would be a little apprehensive around him as well. Yeah. 
when you put it like that, getting eaten by a bone blob <laughs> thing, yeah, okay. But, but, but again, like, Kelsey had told him to. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think it stems from more, like, yeah, she, she just resents the fact that was a part of the plan that she finds gross and she didn't know about it. So she just has she has issues with that and she blames Orisua for it, but she's she's not blaming Kelsia for his role in that, which I think is a bit unfair. So I feel like Orisua is just taking the brunt of it and that's just feeding his own resentment because he's just like, you're having a go at me for doing what I was told to do on the contract. Like, mm. screw you, lady. <laughs> I feel like to give him a dog's body, though, and then just be like, oh, th- you're not going to hang out with me. I just need you out of the way and you can be a dog this time. Like, that's that's pretty poor. <laughs> Yeah, you're, yeah. It, it, it's like she gave a really good explanation to him where it's like, hey, you know, you'll be my dog and people won't notice you and that'll make you even better at this job and you can hang around with me and people won't think it's strange, which that made a lot of sense to me at least. Mm. Yeah. But then to turn around and beat Ellen, it's like, yeah, he's going to be a dog, but I'm going to leave him behind and not have him hang out with me. It's like, OK, well, come on. What was the point? Yeah, you, you could have let him take one of those dead guys if. The, you weren't going to take him along in the first place. On some level, I'm convinced it was just Brandon Sanderson trying to make like a really bad stealth pun and like making him into a literal dog's body. <laughs> I hadn't hadn't considered that. Of course, dog's body is not a, a common term here. But uh... oh, and I I want I want to point out that this is uh, the inside joke that I mentioned in the last episode that somebody had emailed about was we were talking in the final episode about the final empire about what was going to happen with Orsur. And I was like, you know, Vin doesn't really seem to want him around. And Dak was like, I don't think that she's going to get a choice. Like he's going to stick with her. And I was like, Oh, is this going to like follow her around like a puppy? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, that's, that's the joke that you guys didn't get to be in on. Now you're in on it. It's, It's super, super funny. Uh, Yay. but speaking of Kelsier, we get this whole discussion where Elland is feeling inferior because he's like, everyone really wants Kelsier to be like in my position, basically Doxon in particular. He's like, that's what he dislikes most about me is I'm not Kelsier basically, which is probably kind of fair. Kelsier was the hero of the city, the guy who gave his life to start all this. And he's the one that everyone loved. Ellen probably would not be king if Kelsier was alive. Ellen might not be alive if Kelsier was alive, because uh, he didn't like Nobleman a whole lot. He saved Ellen, though, so... And they have that discussion in this chapter, too. And there's the, the discussion about why Vin didn't, you know, like Kelsier in that way, which we could, we talked about a little last time, because Brandon said that that was something that his, uh, his alpha readers or whatever felt like there should be a relationship there. But she has very convincing reasons here for why that was not something she was into. Yeah, plus, I mean, besides all the reasons she says, it would just kind of be icky. Yeah, no. I mean, that's her first thing. It's like, he was way older than me, which is a big part of that ickiness. It's like, ew. Like, she was 16 and he was 38. I guess that's the thing. You always forget the way Kelsier acted. He he comes across as a bit more of a young man than we than he actually was. Yeah, I, 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 you're right. I never thought of him as somebody like who was almost 40 in the way he acted. Yeah. Well, we have to remember he had like a whole career before becoming a Mistborn. And I mean, I don't feel like you become a legend in just a few years uh, if in the thieving world. Like 
sure it took many years for him to establish himself in Luthadel. Mm-hmm. And then he goes away. And um, also, I mean, I always tried to, uh, they're friends, they're like best friends. So I was just assumed he was close in age to Dachshund and Dachshund seemed older. So I was like, mm. well, he probably just looks young or, he yeah. just, you know, he's, he's the, the handsome rogue type. So he, he looks young, even though he's older. That's a good point. It makes sense for him to be around Dachshund's age. And in, in the short story we read, he's like, yeah, when Dachshund was younger, he was a kind of a brawler. So even that only make almost makes it sound like, you know, Dachshund's getting a little on in years. Probably especially for a Ska. I don't feel like Ska probably lived to be that old usually. What was it? He spent a year at the pits before he snapped. Then there was three years between escaping the pits and coming back to Luthadel for the start of the Final Empire. So mm-hmm. it would have been like like probably probably the end of his early 30s. Uh, when yep. he was arrested, so presumably he spent the his the the entirety of his twenties like as this thieving crew leader, um, building up a reputation like a, a decade to be a successful thief in Luthadel. That's you know that's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Him and Mare coming up in their twenties, and yep. Doxon. That that could be a, an interesting series of books. Actually, is uh, them pulling scams it's like this younger. Butch and Sundance, the early years. Well, Dachshund's not dead, so... Uh, Yeah, no, like, sorry, Bill and Ted reference there. I guess if Mare was Butch and Kelsey was Sundance, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Ellen tells the story of how Kelsey saved his life, and Vin's like, oh, well, that's nice. It's like, he knew I loved you. I guess in the end that proved stronger than his hatred. Uh, Ham shows up interrupting their uh, little discussion while they're like, she's like laying, they're like laying together, cuddling on the couch or whatever. It's very cute. And this is where they start talking about the alloy of aluminum and uh, how she's been working on figuring out what that is. And she has this new one to try out. And apparently she's burned a few of these so far and they make her very, very sick, which is what Kelsier said would happen if you get, you know, the wrong percentages in an alloy. I guess it's also, you know, she's. We know what aluminium does, but mm-hmm. like, what what is she expecting to happen when she burns this alloy? Because uh, I think when when it came up in the Final Empire, we talked about it, and Joe was saying something like, "Oh, you know, maybe it'll enhance the reserves that you already have in your stomach." So, yeah. Which like, this one doesn't make her sick, but it doesn't seemingly do anything else that she can notice either. So. Yeah, not that she notices. But did she like? I'm trying to skip through here. Does she have any other reserves in her at the time? Because if she doesn't, and that is, mm. we, we we hypothesize that's what this metal is, this alloy is meant to do, then of course yeah. she's not going to notice anything because she's nothing there to enhance. Uh, like she did have all eight metal reserves in there. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yes. I think it. Yeah, it she describes does. that she can feel each of them, and then she reaches mm. for this new one, but it she doesn't feel like, and she knows it's burning, and she knows she's not sick, but it's not doing anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there it is. The other eight were all there, well-stocked. So what do you guys think this is going to be about uh, with Duralumin? Like, is this the right one? And if so, what is it going to do? Well, it says that she could feel all the other ones, but maybe she needs to actually burn one of the other ones to feel it. My only thought was, if it works the opposite way from aluminum, was if it doesn't give you more of the other metals perhaps it makes them last longer when you burn them 
Mm, so you would definitely need to burn another one to sense that. In fact, right. You, you would might need to burn, burn one in, for a while to sense right. that. Right. Exactly. Like you'd have to burn it in conjunction while burning that one to sense kind of what's happening. I wonder if she would think of that. Like while you're burning something else, just be like, well, let's give this one a try. Hmm. I had sort of thought in, I think it's the next chapter, when Vin and Ham are, are sparring with each other and when, when she, she sort of jumps really high, I was like, maybe it is maybe it is enhancing that. I mean, she was giving the instruction to only use pewter, which at first I was like, well, that makes sense. They're fighting. It's sort of equal that way. But, you know, maybe maybe she can just stretch things a little bit further than she would have been able to. Mm-hmm. So you think she thought. was... You think she was cheating and trying to burn the new thing while she in the fight, or it was like a, a leftover effect well, from when she burns it now? Possibly a leftover fight, a uh, leftover effect. I don't think she would have been cheating, but yeah, I, like if that's sort of the effect that it had, maybe maybe she hasn't figured that out yet. Okay. Hmm. I, I was going to dip into the annotations uh, again for a second because. He talks about this. If you paid any sort of attention during the last book, you were probably expecting a new medal or two to show up. I dropped a lot of hints that there were other medals. It was a little bit of a stretch to let there be medals that, despite the thousand-year history of Alamancy, weren't known. However, I rely on the fact that the Lord Ruler had informational control over society, and there are a lot of things that he knew that aren't known to a lot of other people. He also says that Duralumin is a real alloy from our world, commonly made from aluminum, and actually a lot of things that we call aluminum, particularly industrial aluminum, is actually Duralumin. And he says that before electrolysis, aluminum was actually really tough to get. It said that Napoleon had a set of aluminum plates that were more valuable than his gold or platinum ones. So that's, I guess that's the explanation for why aluminum is so rare in this world and why maybe nobody had tried that one before and realized that it had this power. Now we got it coming out of our ears. It's true. We can electrolyze. Electrolyze. Electrolytes. No, that's a different thing. (laughs) Gatorade! This podcast not sponsored by Gatorade. (laughs) (laughs) I like that... uh, she brings up that there were 40 different alloys and that this is only the fifth one that she's tried. I was like, well, that is lucky given how sick this thing apparently makes you. If you get the wrong one (laughs) and ham's like, Hey, I wanted to see if you wanted to go and spar. And she's like, all right, let's do this thing. And they're trying to convince Ellen to do some weapons training. And he's like, uh, no, I'm good. I don't need a fight. It's fine. Uh, Vin says, you should. You really should practice more, Ellen. You barely know how to hold a sword, and you're terrible with a dueling cane. She loves this guy. She's not pulling any punches. She's like, you <laughs> barely know which end of the sword to hold. So, come on. I mean, he's getting targeted by assassination attempts twice a week or something, so it probably makes mm-hmm. sense the guy should learn how to friggin' defend himself. Right? You think so. I mean, if he could hold off an assassin for even, like, five seconds, that might give Vin more time to get there and save him. Come on. Ooh. Let's uh, this this guy, Ellen, it's just uh, uh, it's more of him being oblivious. He's like, yeah, it's not that big a deal. Mm. He really is the worst. He's just... <laughs> <laughs> Worse than Spook. Oh, he, I was going to say, you say that uh, now, no. but, then, <laughs> but then he comes back this chapter. No, uh, it's clear that the, the men who like Vin are just terrible, both of them. One more than the other. Okay. <laughs> And then we get the uh, the next epigraph, which I think confirms what we talked about in the first epigraph, where he's like, I, I 
write this in metal or something. And we're talking about what exactly that meant. And so he says, I write this record now pounding it into a metal slab because I am afraid for myself. Yes. Because he's like, if when Alendi does come back or if he does come back, he's going to want to kill me first because I'm like the last guy left that's against him. He's not an evil man, but he is a ruthless one that I think a, that is, I think a product of what he has been through. So he's, and we talked about that last time, too, as we were reading the logbook before we even knew who this guy was. That was Dax's thing, I think, was that uh, uh, Quan has turned against him. And he's like, well, maybe he's seen that this guy's going around killing, like, killing people. And, yeah, maybe it's for a good reason or whatever. But, you know, he talks about killing friends and stuff that he just it has to be done. And that's kind of what Quan is saying here. He's like, he's not a bad guy, he's, but he's a ruthless guy. Yeah, I guess it just points out the fact that throughout Alendi's logbook, we never really got specifics of what he himself did. He talked obliquely about having to kill people and do horrible things, and he felt bad for it, but he never actually said specifically what they were. So, mm, it's true. Yeah, so we might actually get some more details out of Quan. Jamie, Jamie and I were also talking about the fact that Quan is the one writing these, and he's pounding them into metal. And we sort of came up with, like, I wonder why he's, like, before we read this epigraph, we were like, why is Quan, like, not writing on paper? He said he doesn't trust it. Does he not trust paper because he still thinks that trees can think and maybe the paper's made of wood, so... I hadn't thought of that. That is a great... (laughs) The trees are plotting and the paper is helping. Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I just assumed it was because he was a terraceman and he was recording it on metal mines or whatever, but I like that better. <laughs> he's, he's worried. He says the here, trees he's pounding have a high it into a slab. So it's not, even, it's not a metal mine sort of thing. He's pounding this record into a slab of metal. He says, mm. still gearing up for that whole when trees attack thing. Yeah. It's it. He's, he's getting ready for the happening. It's going to happen. The happening. Um, Thanks big. <laughs> <laughs> wasing, wasing with the happen of happening. Oh, cr- uh, <sighs> but I, 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 I like random note here because it's something that you pick up about Sazed and the way that Sazed talks. He uses this. Uh, he says I think a lot, as and it's kind of like I, I've always felt like a non-confrontational thing. And maybe we discussed this before. I don't recall. Uh, but he like he tries. He he Sazed will say a thing and he'll be like. At the end, comma, I think, to – he doesn't want to make statements that are provocative, so he he, he appends them with that to be like, oh, this is just my opinion, though. And then uh, – Ra- not Rashek. <laughs> Quan. Quan does the same thing here in his last sentence. He's like, that is, I think, a product of what he's been through. So it's kind of like a Terraceman <laughs> affectation. Yeah, as a guy who um, people get upset with when I come off like I know uh, too much – that does not help saying, I think, uh, <laughs> people still get annoyed with you. Well, could you imagine, like, at the Well of Ascension, Rashek stabs Alendi through the back, and he's like, you need to die, I think. <laughs> yeah, now that would be good. That, that that takes some of the sting out of the stab. Yeah, now that's No, well, you just think. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Statement of fact, it's an opinion. I, I can respect that. Okay. Uh, okay, then we move into... Uh, we're going to watch the uh, the sparring, but Ellen has his internal dialogue about 
I could train for 10 years and not be matched for an Alamancer, and that's who they're going to send to kill me. So what's the point, really, in learning any of this? Which just sounds like an excuse to me to be lazy totally and is. not learn. And so, yes, they're going to it's just going to be a pewter sparring match between him and Vin, which on the surface, you feel like if Vin's not allowed to use any of her other medals to give her an advantage, then Ham's a bigger, stronger guy than her. Seems like he should have an advantage. There's this thing here, just from sorry, from what you said earlier, uh, Ellen is like, oh, like I could train 10 years and be no match for an Alamancer. And then a couple of paragraphs later, Ham is just like, there is no substitute for training and practice, no matter how powerful the Alamancer is. Mm hmm. Take that, Ellen. <laughs> well, it makes it makes a lot of sense, right? He's like, if two guys are using pewter, then they're equal in strength, so the one with more skill is going to win. Yeah. But Ellen doesn't want to hear that. No. That would mean that he had to, he'd have to train and stuff. That's that's hard. Yeah, he he thinks the guy with the thicker books should win. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, they probably work as a shield. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and then the trees attacked. Yeah, that <laughs> makes me think of uh, Carl Weathers when he's got the best scar in his chest, so he doesn't die. <laughs> I was I was thinking um fl- uh, Flanders when he gets shot. He's like, good thing I always keep a Bible close to my Bible, heart. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so they're gonna start sparring with staves and clubs. Clomps up, and he's like, my money's on the girl, and puts down a ten boxing coin uh, to bet on Vin. And uh, Ellen, he kind of likes clubs, but he's also, like, intimidated by clubs, which kind of makes sense. You know, he's this gruff, gnarled, like, old uh, dude who's apparently a really good general, according to Ellen. He's, like, he's impressed by how, like, good he is at this. And so he's kind of scared not to take the bet. He's like, you're you're asking me to bet against Vin, you know, that could be unhealthy. And clubs like, and? I love the description of Clubs' face like a gnarled toadstool. Yep. That is the best description ever. I think it still fits like Mad-Eye Moody to me. Ever since you guys said that in the previous book, that's all I can see now is like Clubs' Mad-Eye Moody. Yep. When making the movie, please cast Brendan Gleeson. (laughs) I'm sure he won't mind playing the exact same thing again. (laughs) Well, I mean, I just love that actor. He's one of my favorite actors in the He should get more work. He is good. You're not wrong. Uh, and so it turns out Spook is back in town, uh, and Clubs is annoyed because he left. Spook is uh, has turned a bit sassy. I don't know what exactly the word is, but he, he left a present on Clubs' doorstep of a wood carving from a carpenter in a different city with a note that says, I just wanted to show you what real carpenters are up to, old man. Uh, this... Spook, come on, dude. I, this is not better than old spook as far as, uh, you know, liking this guy. The uh, the attitude and being a jerk to your uncle is not uh, not making you more likable. No, but I feel like if he sasses his uncle too much, his uncle will smack him down and put him in his place. You're absolutely right. I believe that 100%. Maybe this is the relationship they've had all along. Just no one could understand spook. Ooh. So Spook is just like, I'm still giving you the same level of sass I've always given you, but now Clubs can finally understand it. Turns out he doesn't like it. That is an interesting thought that had never occurred to me before, that maybe he was always that sassy. That <laughs> 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 just nobody knew. <laughs> I mean, that makes total sense to me, Jamie, and that's why I don't like him. I mean, even now, <laughs> even now he's talking normal, and it's just that he infuriates me. Uh, he pops up 
uh, and it's like, hey, my money's on Vin too. And at first, Ellen doesn't recognize. He's like, who is? Oh my gosh, that spook wasing the wear of calling out. He says, which who the fuck knows what that means. <sighs> and uh, and that was pretty much my reaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like no, here we go again. <laughs> yeah, and you know it just makes me so angry. It's like he does that, and he's like, I'm just kidding. I'm gonna talk normally now. <laughs> He says that he only goes back to the dialect for the occasional nostalgic quip. Smartass. But he's been growing. He says that he's over six feet tall and 16 years old now. And he's like muscling up. Says that he hardly, this young man hardly resembles the gangly boy Ellen had met a year before. And I guess Spook is a spy. Based on what he's saying, he's like, I'm no, I'm no misborn. We more mundane spies have to find ways of getting information without flying up to windows and listening outside. He calls clubs Uncle Grumbles. That was pretty good. I'll pay that. <laughs> and then clubs wants to know where he got a uniform of clubs' army. And Spook is like, oh, uh, you know, nowhere. It's all good. And apparently rumors have been cropping back up about the Lord Ruler's Adium having been found in Luthadel. And we established in the last set of chapters that people outside Luthadel thought that they had found the Adium. And that was one of the draws. But apparently Breeze spent six months trying to get everyone to believe that the Adium was not found so that everyone wouldn't show up at their door trying to kill them to get it. And for me, it's kind of, I don't know. I don't know which one to feel, which one is better. I understand their perspective of not wanting everyone to think they had Adium so that everyone shows up to try to kill them. But at the same time, Adium is super dangerous. So having everyone think that you have plenty of Adium and they should stay the hell away because you could kill them with this adium might be better. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think the people spreading those rumors are the ones who have the adium itself. Ooh. I, I think I, I think this is actually Straff Ventures doing. I think he's spreading those rumors because he flogs um, all the adium reserves himself and nicked off with it. And as long as people are trying to bust down the door of whoever's got the adium, he spreads the rumors, oh yeah, it's it's in Luthadel, so everyone goes after them and no one comes looking for him. Meanwhile, he's ideally placed because he has it all and he's ready to use it whenever he needs it. That would make a lot of sense with the theory that we had about him running off with it last time. The yeah. only thing I can think of against that is that he has now shown up to take over Luthadel, and he's the first one to do so. If he does, then all of those rumors he spread are leading back to him. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a point, I guess. Maybe he just needed to keep people distracted until he was ready. I don't know. Interesting. But uh, Ham and Vin have their... It's kind of a cool little scene of their sparring, and uh, she's small and quick and keeps up with ham surprisingly well. And then just when you think that he's got her, she like jumps seven feet in the air and uh, takes him. And everyone's like, holy crap, this girl, she's, she's good. We already knew that though. <laughs> Vin comes up with uh, some juice and cups for Ellen and clubs and a flagon for ham. And Spook's like, what about me? And she says, that beard looks silly on you. So I don't get anything to drink. No, Vin, you're a strange girl. <laughs> you're underage. Oh, she brought juice. The juice? Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Could be anything in that. Okay. She's she, she's she's Irished up their juice this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ellen has to pay off his bet with clubs. 
and tries to he's like, I didn't agree with your bet, Spook. Nobody nobody's here for your nonsense. You paid Uncle Irritable, why not me? And so he just hands over the money. Ellen is not as concerned about this money as Vin is, uh, but then again, Ellen has, is used to being rich, so. Yeah. <laughs> Vin is like, excuse me, you bet against me? And Ellen says, I didn't mean it. Clubs bullied me. <laughs> <laughs> you still took the bet, mate. Yeah, it pro- he probably should not have done that. <laughs> Let's be honest, but he's trying to get along with everybody. He's just trying to make everybody like him. It's hard to blame him too much for that, but he's just... He's still kind of immature. It's a problem when you're the king, I feel like. <laughs> and uh, they joke about Vin. It's like, oh, I'll be careful. She can hit pretty hard. And Spook's like, I got to find myself a woman. And Vin pipes in. That beard isn't going to help. She just <laughs> she, she won't let go of the beard. Yeah, it's not it's even a, real. It's hideous. Right. Yeah, it's hideous. It needs to leave his face. He just needs to leave. He needs to get out of here. I'm, I'm, sick. <laughs> I'm sick of this guy. And really, he's not doing Ellen any favors here when he's like, hey, Ellen, why don't you give me a noble title or something? And Ellen's like, that doesn't really help with girls. And he tries to say, well, it worked for you. And Ellen's like, well, you know, Vin likes me despite my title rather than because of it. And Spook wants to bring up the other girls that Ellen's been with, which is not really the kind of conversation you have with his girlfriend right there, generally. Well, we know Spook had a thing for Vin, so maybe he's like, hey, if I bring up the other girls, Vin will ditch you and come with me. Not with that beard. Uh, nope. No, not with that beard, man. I mean, he. I feel like they turn it into a nice, funny conversation about her killing Shanelario, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Chilling off her competition. Yeah, no, it. it's a hilarious conversation, actually, about Shan. And Spook's like, it's more interesting when she kills them off. <laughs> killing people in battle. Hilarious. <laughs> but then Ham- it. It, was like, it was one time. <laughs> <laughs> But Ellen gets his, like, romantic. He's like, I have to admit, Vin is hard on other women. With her around, everyone else looks bland by comparison. It's like, aw. So he's he's, he's maybe kind of good at that. And uh, Ham takes it a little too far by being like, Miff's Lord Ruler only knows what it, she'll do if you ever try to leave her, Ellen. Ha ha ha. That's not funny to Vin. Even after what they'd been through, even after his marriage, his proposal of marriage, Ellen had to keep promising Vin that he wasn't going to leave her. It's, she's, Yeah. Whoever said at the, at the end of the last book is like she's not over her like fear of abandonment or whatever. Yeah, no, you you had it. Yep. And so Ellen has to kind of swerve away from that. Where he's like, I think I'm gonna go visit the kitchens. You want to come, Vin? And Spook's like, I'll come. Once again, read the room, kid. <laughs> but Clubs <laughs> helps out. <laughs> Clubs like you're staying here until you explain exactly where you got one of my soldiers' uniforms. <laughs> Good save, Clubs. And then they go back, and uh, that evening, the wolfhound has completed his transformation. And there's kind of a creepy conversation about how he constructed a voice box, because of all the people he's eaten before, he knows how to create a voice box that fits inside the wolf. And uh, she's like, is that why it took you so much longer? And he's like, no, it was all this fur. I should have told you before. And she's like, no, you mentioned that, which he did. He, He said rearranging all that fur would take a while, which makes sense. That's a lot... You could you probably don't need to pay as much attention to hair on the human body except on the head to make sure it all looks perfect, but on a wolf that's kind of important. Or a wolf hound. I keep thinking of it as a wolf. He finds the body offensive and degrading. Again, can't blame him. Nah. 
But he's like, but Ellen's like, well, you'll do it anyway, right? He's like, well, of course. I would die before breaking the contract. It is life. Ellen's I, so proud of himself. Oh, yeah. He's like, see? Made my point. <laughs> he's like, I know what I'm talking about. And that's pretty much the end of this chapter. Is uh, Vin, and, Vin and her talking dog. Yeah. Let's see if you can keep up, she says. You think that uh, the wolfhound will be able to keep up with Mistborn? Uh, yeah. Can, can the dog climb? Fair question. Know. I've seen some dogs climb. Sure. Yeah, they'll they'll have uh, they'll have their own sitcom, you know. So it'll be like uh, <laughs> Vin and Orser being best friends together forever. The fun never ends. Solving mysteries one uh, kill at a time. Vin and Orser, two of a kind. Wow, that, that was some good improv, dude. Uh, well, I, I I ripped off uh, the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt for that, but that's fine. Okay, I've only seen like one episode. <laughs> I watched the first episode of that, and it was just kind of like, yay. Uh, okay, we get to Quan's next epigraph here, and he says, he is afraid that his story will be forgotten. I'm afraid for the world that is to come, afraid that my plans will fail, afraid of a doom even worse than the deepness. So that's bad. I mind immediately went to, we haven't even seen the deepness. We don't know what it is. How can there already be something worse than it? We, we don't even know what that is yet. We, we don't need to build up to something worse when we haven't even seen it yet. We got this tentacle monster thing that we think is a tentacle monster thing. We don't really know. And now you're yep. telling me there's some, like, kraken tentacle monster that's even bigger than that monster? <laughs> bigger tentacles. Somewhere Qui-Gon Jinn is just like, there's always a bigger fish. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. My mind immediately went to it's like, hang on, the deepness were the outside scope problem of the first book when the Lord Ruler was the was the main threat. So now it's like, oh god, there's something else besides the deepness as well. And because it's Quan, and I'll always come back to it. Yep, trees are coming back, and they're going to take over the world. <laughs> That's that. This is going to be Dax volcanoes. He's he's gone yep. into it for this book. It's Quan and the trees. The trees are coming for us. Trees, trees are the yeah. new volcanoes. And there's a giant Lorax. <laughs> <laughs> the trees were secretly behind the volcanoes. It all makes sense. That seems counterproductive to them. <laughs> you're you're not wrong. Were in there. Coming back to to the actual passage, something is worse than the deepness, and the Lord Ruler was supposedly stopping the deepness, or you know, he was holding back whatever it was. So presumably the Lord Ruler was the lesser of all the evils. Huh. Yeah, that seems to be an implication, all right. Yeah. Oh, mm. Unless the flip side is um, the Lord Ruler was the doom worse than the deepness. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. That might. I don't think sense. it's. I don't think it's likely, but it's a possibility. Because he's he's worried about whatever Elendi's going to do at the Well of Ascension, and so if what Rashek did there turns him into the Lord Ruler, if that's what. Quan was worried about was, you know, somebody getting this power and turning into an evil overlord. Maybe it makes sense that that's exactly what was worse than the deepness. If, just just to be fair to the guy, if we believe what the Lord Ruler was saying for a thousand years, he defeated the deepness. And then at the end, he says that he was still protecting them from something. So maybe we're going to find out that the deepness has been beaten all along and he wasn't lying about that, but it's whatever that worst thing is that he was protecting them from. The deepness is going to be a red herring like communism. That, that was a clue reference for anyone who. <laughs> Man, I haven't seen that movie in ages. It's a good movie. Yeah. They're remaking it, I think I heard. Oh, of course they are. Uh, okay, so back to chapter seven. 
we're heading back to to Sazed. His appreciation of dirt floors, because he can show people how to <laughs> scribble on the dirt floor. Uh, half the children in this village ran around naked, and he's trying to teach them how to write and read, which they don't really care about. They just come because everyone respects Sazed, Master Terrasman, and if he thinks it's important, well, I guess we'll let the kids tell the kids they need to go and do this. And he's really, uh, he's kind of, he's a little bit down about it. Or he's like, he always imagined how wonderful this would be when the keepers came out of hiding and they're teaching everyone, telling stories in front of a warm hearth at night. But nobody really anticipated what the world post Lord Ruler would be like. So, yeah, it's it's, it's sort of a who needs who needs um, text and reading and writing when you don't have any food. Yeah, there's a there's a hierarchy of needs here and we need to address the food thing. And the shelter, food, shelter, that all water, that kind of thing first. Yep. No mist, of course. Mist came only during the night. The stories had to be mistakes. And he mentions the synod or synod, and that they've basically decided, uh, you know, what they're supposed, to, what the keepers are supposed to be doing, and sent him off to this area to help out. And at the same, he's wondering about these mysteries that we're running into. And at the same time, he's like, maybe I'm just trying to build more out of this than there is because all of a sudden I don't have this great, you know, thing to be fighting anymore. I don't have the Lord Ruler as the big scary bad guy to work against. So I'm trying to create something new to keep me interested. Which, I don't know. I, that doesn't really hang together with me. That's a long way to go. To uh, I feel like Say's probably... He's disappointed, yeah, but I think he enjoys helping these people, so... He does. He's just not doing what he would thought he would be doing to help them. Mm. There's so much knowledge that he's collected over his years, and he wants to be able to share all of this in the religions and, you know, restore some things. But they're, you know, like you said before, what does all that mean if you've you've got no food? You know, he needs to teach these people how to just simply exist, which is not the world he thought mm. he would be living in. He hoping to, you know enrich people's lives with knowledge and, and teachings of their ancestors and yeah that's not what it is at all right what's the what's the famous psychologist like ne- steps for necessity for people it's like number one is you know food shelter all that stuff you're they thinking gotta, they, of maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah that you know they gotta have that stuff first before they're ready to like learn how to write and languages and history and religions and all that stuff they gotta they got to be able yep. to survive. Yep. It's a pyramid, and at the bottom of the pyramid is physiological needs, just food, water, warmth, and rest. Sorry, psych- psychology. That's that, that's. <laughs> this podcast not sponsored by psychology. No. <laughs> just in in general. It's yeah. I, you know I spent a lot of money getting two degrees in psychology, so on some level maybe it is. But um, <laughs> anyway. We hear uh, Says says that you know all his friends think of him as being so docile, but according to the other keepers, he was like a wild, reckless, untrustworthy fool. So I don't know. Do you ever picture Says as like the wild man of his group who's just like crazy off the wall, doing crazy things? Well, he did swallow a ring and break into the palace naked. I don't know that he was naked when he broke in, but yeah, no, okay. <laughs> he just runs in. I'm naked. <laughs> <laughs> the Inquisitor's just like, what the fuck? Well, this is new. 
It definitely would take everyone by surprise. No, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> no, nobody expects the naked Inquisition. Yeah. He's like, I'm. Uh, they're like, oh, I'm so glad I can only see blue lines. <laughs> Somebody shows up and says that the Lord Ruler is back. It is, in fact, not the Lord Ruler, but a Steel Inquisitor. And more specifically, Say says that it is Marsh. How do you tell them apart? Like, it took well, ages he... before Vin worked out it was Marsh. Well, Vin wasn't expecting it to be Marsh. And so she was like looking at this guy. And he's like, his face does look kind of familiar. Is that Kelsier? No, wait, it's Marsh. So okay. I, I guess most of his facial features, I guess, are still the same. Enough that she recognized him. Yeah. I mean, it's just the eyes, right? And the, and the hair. So, you yeah. know, forehead, cheeks, nose, mouth. That's all the same. It can be difficult for me to recognize somebody after they shave their head sometimes. Yeah, so adding, okay. adding eye spikes can't help that. Yeah, for sure. But once you know what I you're do. looking for, you can probably tell. Yeah. You're a difficult person to track, Terrasman. Marsh is talking a little bit oddly in this chapter. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 off-putting and concerning for me. I don't know if everyone else felt the same way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I... Um... I couldn't decide if it was like somebody's actually posing as Marsh or if my theory previously was correct. Like when they're turned in something about being turned into inquisitor slowly changes you. Yeah. I'm starting to get that impression. Mm-hmm. So it explained all the murderous tendencies they had as a group. They're just wildly stabbing people and stuff like mm-hmm. how did you manage to pick that many people of the same mm-hmm. kind of disposition to do that? Yeah. He may be trying to hold himself back from, wanting to murder yeah there's something different for sure and it does seem like maybe there's a good argument there for maybe over time this does some stuff to you but we'll see i suppose he tells says the conventicle of saran is empty and say says empty that isn't likely i think see there's the he's he, <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't want to come out and say no that doesn't make any sense he's like that doesn't seem likely to me but that's my opinion now that you've said it, we're not going to be able to unnotice that. Right. I'm, I'm sorry. I've ruined it. I've ruined all, <laughs> all terracemen forever. So he's just, he'll be like the big Lebowski guy. It's like, that's just like my opinion, man. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's a weird thing for Sace to do, especially in this instance. Marsh is like, I have some information for you. This has happened. And Sace is just like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> like, does he have any reason to distrust Marsh at this point? If Marsh says that's that this is going on, why would he be like, mm, And yeah. I guess the only explanation we get is Say's thinking to himself that it's a ministry stronghold where the inquisitioners, in, inqu- inquisitors, can't talk, and high obligators of the Lord Ruler's religion had retreated after the collapse. So it's like the people who didn't want to go along with, you know, Ellen or any of the new society, all the Lord Ruler's people retreated to this place so then saying it's empty now he's like wait what so all the inquisitors and the high obligators who made this their new center of operations they just left that seems unlikely to me but uh also fun note from the annotations the word conventicle came from his editor moshi he says i originally called it the covenant of saran however not only did the Halo games decide to make good use of the word covenant, but my editor <laughs> found it somewhat inaccurate. So he suggested conventicle, which I liked immediately. It's a real word, though I think I spell it differently, which refers to a meeting of high-level church officials. Yeah, that works. Randomly, while I'm in the annotations at this point, 
I also want to point out, he, he says something interesting about this book being about, they actually, in the editing process, added 15,000 words to make the pacing work, making it the pacing quicker through adding stuff. He's like, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around if you never had to do it, but it actually makes the pacing quicker and work better in some places by adding all, like an extra scene. And, uh, but when they got to the editor, uh, the, the publisher, the typesetters, they raised a red flag and said that by their count, the hardback for Mistborn 2 was going to be over 700 pages long and unpublishable. And uh, he says, we knew the book was a bit longer, but the first Mistborn book was under 500 pages. So they were now claiming it was about 40% bigger and unpublishable. So his editor went to bat for him and said, it's actually only about 20% bigger and that that doesn't matter. How long it was shouldn't matter because it's the right length. It works well and was paced well. And they, the editor said, we should not cut it more than this. And so after going back and forth, they came back and said that the book would actually come in at around 560 pages or so, which was very doable. And he ends this annotation by saying, I don't know where those extra 140 pages went. If you find them, let me know. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just it just makes me think, which, I mean, I guess this book is probably written for, I guess, te- like, teens could read this or young adults. But it, just makes me, it always just makes me think of, like, Harry Potter and, like, the news coming out saying, when the fourth book originally came out, the news coming out saying, no child will be able to read a book this long. It's like, <laughs> uh, what are you talking about? Mistborn is, the, the Mistborn trilogy is sometimes described as more towards the young adult end of the spectrum of his work. He's done some stuff that's very young adult and some stuff that's even like aimed at elementary age kids, which are some hilarious books, by the way. But (laughs) uh, this one, I never thought about it being like kind of young adult ish before when I, when I read it the first time, but later as people have come back and said that, I'm like, I guess it does center on like a 16 year old girl, at least at the start, which is kind of a trope of young adult lit. So maybe it makes some sense in there. I don't know. I feel like it works perfectly well as adult fantasy, but I can see why some people would kind of say that. But yes, the conventicle of Saran and uh, say says that isn't likely, I think. And Marsh says it's true nonetheless. So whether or not it's likely, it's true. (laughs) And says just like, hey, there could be a lot of cool information in the library of the conventicle. Like that's like the secret headquarters of the ministry. They could have kept all sorts of cool stuff in there. And Marsh says, you must come with me. I may need help should my brethren discover us. And says notes, it's like, he's calling them his brethren now? That's it's kind of weird. In addition to it just being a weird word to use in conversation. Mm. And Marsh is just like, get your things, we're going. And says is like, um, okay? No, well, first Marsh has to tell him the mist are coming during the day. And that's what gets his attention, really. This is not oversized. It's not yet begun. The Lord Ruler, he was just a delay, a cog. And now that he's gone, we have little time remaining. And that's what t- convinces Sage to go along. But that's the end of the chapter, more or less. And it's a very... It does not bode well. Creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. That's a word something for very, it. Something <laughs> very wrong with Marsh. He seems to know some things, or at least have an idea about some things, which could be good or bad at this point. But he's... He's like, there's something else coming. Like, it's not just like the fact that his voice has changed. His man, his entire manner of speaking has changed. Like, he was never this mm. blunt before. 
Like, even after he'd been turned into an Inquisitor, he still spoke more or less like a normal person, whereas now he seems... He's got that cold... Like, everything is short, definitive sentences. He doesn't use Say's name until the end of his little introduction, because he starts out by calling him Terraceman. Yep. It, it's just... Yeah, this seems... Yeah, everything about him is altered. Yeah, everything is short and clipped and matter-of-fact. And, like, look, I know Marsh wasn't exactly the most personal guy to start with, but he wasn't this cold and remote. Yeah, what if the what if the conventicle's empty because he killed them all? I would find it hard to Maybe. be upset about that if he took out all the rest of the Steel Inquisitors, but... Also, he'd probably lead with that if that were the case. Maybe, yeah. But no, I mean... Unless he's trying to hide something. There's clearly something wrong here. Uh, so let's maybe talk about what you think that's going to lead to as we move into predicaments. Anyone have any final thoughts on the chapters before we move into our predicaments section? Yeah, um, my final thoughts on these chapters. You know, the hardest part for me about going into the second book is having to remember that the Sanderlanch has stopped and now we're starting again because <laughs> i'm like reading this and i'm like where's the rest of it there should be more like i should be getting more information but i'm having to remember well this is a new book we're not gonna get there until near the end so now it's just like i'm impatiently waiting it's like okay <laughs> who's who's this watcher guy what's going on with marsh like what's happening so you know that's the that's what i would say about these chapters it's like they're just deepening mystery here and i really i want to get things rolling well i would agree with you that you know we, we're starting again we still probably by the time we were getting to this sort of chapters you know we're, we're coming into chapter eight things started happening in the first book so i have a feeling that in the next few chapters we are still going to have a few bigger events pop up because i mean it's kind of his style we go and think oh we're predicting this thing and then it would happen in the next next week so I feel like things are probably going to start to happen. Like, not so much like what we're used to now from the end of Final Empire, but we will start to have a few bigger things, I think. Yeah, we could be headed down that same road. Uh, okay, who wants to uh, predict things for our predicaments section? Who's up? Well, I'll go first, because I've sort of gone with a couple of others earlier in this episode. But yes, trees will attack. That's the new volcano. <laughs> but no, like, so earlier in the episode, I was talking about one, I think, uh, Strap Venture has the Adium, and he's going to be doing something, like, he's going to be hoarding all that. The other thing I mentioned was the fact that I'm certain that Orisua's contract is going to expire. And what I, and I actually think those two things are going to be tied together. I think whether or not Straff does have the Adium, I think whoever does have it is going to, somehow clue into the fact that they have a they have this Kandra working with them so close to Lady Air and they're, they're going to use the Atium that they've stolen to buy Orosua's contract because when way back at the start of the first book, Kelsia mentioned that he bought Orosua's contract so if someone else buys it again then that mm. could be the catalyst for Orosua turning on them. So I think, I suspect that's probably going to be an issue that crops up at some point. Whoever's got the Adium at the moment, my money's still on Straff, uh, is going to twig to the fact that they have a Kandra. Maybe the fact that there's a talking dog will uh, tip them, tip their hand. And uh, yeah, that's how Orosua is going to turn on them. Interesting. Okay. 
that makes sense with Kelsier's talk about buying his contract, right? And at, yeah. at the same time, though, if you can get a contract with one of these and somebody else can just, like, pay them more to buy the contract out from under you, it would make you think twice about hiring one of these guys, I feel like. Well, not not so much because, like they mentioned, it takes a lot of atium to buy these mm. contracts. So, yep. uh, which and the atium is so rare and parceled out, it's going to make a lot of people think twice before blowing so much atium on. Like they're only going to do it if they think it is very, very worthwhile. Especially now that atium is so rare. So, whoever's holding the stockpile, like when like if they do this, it's going to be a case of they think it's worth the risk. But it, you know, it also comes down to we just don't know what the contract entails. Like they keep harping on about it, but we don't know how it works, what they have to sign, or what they what the candor does with the atium once they've got it. So there's still too many unknown factors there. So I could be completely wrong, but based on the information that we do have, like I think this is realistic at this stage. Okay. So we should worry about Orsur. Yep. Finn's already not inclined to rely too much on him. She's kind of suspicious of him as it is. Not for those reasons, but... Yeah. Should be interesting. Okay. Anything else? That's all I got. Okay, who else wants to go? I had some thoughts that perhaps the Adium is in Luthadel, and this Strath Venture is coming back in to take it. He knows where it is. It's somewhere safe. I know they've done a search, obviously, of Luthadel and tried to find it, but it doesn't mean he didn't hide it. Like, he would have... Once, once the the pits of Hathin were destroyed. Like, how would he get all of that Adium out so quickly? Mm. So I think it's probably still in Luthadel. He's going to come in with a massive army, taking taking into account that the army in Luthadel is not that strong and that he would be able to come in, take over, and then he does have it. So there could be a bit of truth to these stories that it is in Luthadel. Maybe it's not Straff that's actually spreading that rumour, but... I mean, if no one can find it outside Luthadel, makes sense it would still be there. So I think that's where I'm heading with that one. And I don't really know how yet, but I think who uh, who we're seeing as Marsh is probably not Marsh. And mm-hmm. it's a big old trap for Sazed. Ooh, that would be bad. He's far away from all his friends and no one knows where he is. So it's, it's a trap. No one is going to be showing up mm. to save him from it. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure how that will unfold yet, but that's my my gut feel anyway. I can see why you'd think that, yeah. Makes sense. Uh, Joe, what do you got? What you going to predict? So, yeah, I like I like Jamie and Dax's predictions, both of them. Um, all, through, all the predictions that they've made. I, 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 I'm kind of agreeing with Jamie that maybe it's not Marsh. And this kind of wild idea sprung to my mind. So, says there's a terraceman. He's a little um, unhappy with the way things are going with him trying to teach these villagers things. You know, he's being he's being genteel about it. Obviously, he knows that there are other things that are more important to these people right now than the lessons that he's trying to teach them. But at the same time, I feel like he wants to be able to teach them. The, you know, he wants to go deeper. He wants to be able to give his knowledge. So this ties in kind of with my Sazed turns out to be evil plot. Ooh. I'm almost wondering if this guy Marsh, if it is Marsh or whether it's not Marsh, is taking Sazed to the conventicle. I The plot that's, I don't know exactly how all the ins and outs of this would work, but the plot that's forming in my mind is, what if they are trying to give Sazed Allomancy to make him into a new Lord Ruler. 
that's that's kind of where my brain's going with that right now. I don't know exactly how that would play out or work, uh, whether they would try to control him or whether the powers combined would, would uh, somehow turn him evil. Like maybe hmm. if maybe if the power to become an inquisitor slowly like warps your mind, maybe whatever they do to him would warp his mind and they're trying to create because he's taking says to the place where all the leftover inquisitors and obligators are. So if they had any knowledge of the true nature of Lord Ruler, perhaps they're trying to create another one. I don't know. That's that's kind of where my mind's going on that. I'm interested to see how the this Watcher person plays in to this whole uh, thing. And also, I don't remember if... Does Vin ever talk to Orser about the Watcher? Because I almost feel like... Or I don't think we've seen that, no. Okay, so maybe he doesn't know, but I, it almost seems like Orster is ignoring the Watcher, but if, if they haven't talked about the Watcher, maybe that's not the case. But I feel like there's something going on. I mean, obviously there's something going on with the Watcher. I'm just I'm trying to predict how he's going to play into this. It's got to be, you know, I can't, I can't figure out if it's somebody we know or if it's going to be a new person we don't know. And then now it's like I'm looking for every new character that pops up in the book to say, okay, that's who that is. Mm-hmm. But we really we really haven't had any new character, any prominently new characters in the book so far. So It's normal talking spook. He's secretly a misborn. Yeah, now. he's secret. Yeah, see, somehow misborn. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You, you, that's it. No. I hope spook dies. That would be great. That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I hope he... Plot twist. Spook is the Watcher. Yeah. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, I hope he dies gurgling on his blood, having never oh. felt the touch of a woman. Um, I think wow. that would be fitting. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's how I'm kind of feeling with predictions. I know that's not super uh, concise, but that's just where my brain's going. You're, you're good. Okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah, we didn't really get much mention of the Watcher in these chapters, so... Or any, maybe. I don't, I'm not remembering any. So yeah, I don't think so. He's he, he the, whoever that is has kind of dropped off the radar for these three chapters. But uh, we'll see what happens in the next set. We're actually reading four again for next week, but we'll get there in here in a minute. Uh, we have four emails this week. We were very popular. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so let me start going through those. We're gonna, we're just gonna take a minute here. Uh, first one is from Angela, who we've heard from several times before. We love Angela. She's awesome. Uh, she says, hello, congrats on finishing book one. My favorite prediction and the one that prompted me to email about having favorite predicaments section in the first place was not technically a prediction, though it was said in the predicaments section of the show. So we did encourage them after we did the predicaments retrospective to, you know, if we missed one email, let us know what your favorite was that we missed. And so that's what Angela is doing here. She says it was from episode 10 during Data and Joe's conversation about Kelsier's character development and whether the ending of the book would give Joe enough for him to be happy, in quotes. Joe's response was that he likes Christ-like victories over evil. I think Joe probably meant that he likes for (laughs) irrefutably good to defeat the irrefutably bad, but I realized that he had inadvertently predicted Kelsier's legacy. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Kelsier, uh, he died for the people, 
and uh, became revered and a religious figure afterwards. Yeah. Uh, sacrificed himself nobly. It is a little bit, uh, there's a little bit of Jesus happening in there. Yeah. Yeah. Except for the whole, like, now Vin's the heir. It totally fits. Yeah. Jesus had 12 people who were, uh, you know, carrying yeah. his legacy. But they also weren't, like, the heirs. Nah. Maybe if there had just been one, people would have felt that way. Well, thank you for your email. Appreciate that. Yeah, she uh, she goes on a little bit, but I'm not going to uh, hit all of this because... Oh, uh, spoiler? Well, not exactly. So she says, I don't think it's any secret that Kelsier's story is an allegory of Jesus' story. Kelsier leads a ragtag group of disciples to confront evils of the world by building a group of believers who are so invested that when he dies in a public display, they believe it when people testify that he's returned from the dead. That's true. I kind of left that off when we were talking about uh, the comparisons to Jesus, but there's stories about him returning from the dead and people seeing him. We know that it was a, uh, a bone eating blob, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, there's a lot of literary. Anytime you have a hero, it's like, let's make him like Jesus. Yeah. You're not, you're not, Totally off there. But uh, she says, I love that Joe's offhanded comment about his hopes for the end of Kelsier's story were so accidentally on the nose. Thanks for continuing to provide great content. I really enjoy what you all do. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Angela. I'm, I'm with her. I'm, I'm right there with you, I think. Uh, and I, I, feel, I think she may have emailed or somebody did right after that. And that it may have been part of her email where she suggested we do a most accurate predictions. But she was like, oh, my gosh, I. Like he said that thing about Jesus and just wait till he gets to the end and how it turns out. And I was like, I know. Right. And then I completely forgot to mention it when we went over the prediction segment. <laughs> so I think that's why she was like, you forgot to do this. And it was like <laughs> a big, obvious thing. So, yeah. Thank you for reminding me, Angela. OK, next, we got one from Jordan who says set right after listening to the 11th metal. I've been digging the podcast so far and love hearing everyone's opinions on characters and predicaments. Like Data, I read through the books at lightning speed, so I didn't form any predictions either. Can't wait for the rest of the series. Uh, it says, one thing I've noticed from other podcasts that cover books is at the end of the book, they have an episode dedicated to what they think of the book as a whole, how it worked holistically, themes, blah, blah, blah. Might be worth considering, as the podcast seemed to jump from the end of the book to seeing what the most accurate predictions were and then into the next story. So I thought that in our last episode, we kind of touched on that a lot on like what we thought of the book as a whole at that point. And then I kind of expected we'd do that a little more as when we went into the most accurate predict predictions. And I don't know if we actually did. So that might be something we should consider for next time is an extra episode just to look back on the book as a whole. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, I like, I like that people want to hear more about what we thought about the book, but I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I said everything I needed to say without knowing more of the story. I feel like, Everything I wanted to say about Final Empire, I've, I've said. Mm. So yeah. maybe you, you feel the same way, Dak? Yeah, yes. well, you know, we've spent weeks and weeks and weeks picking apart that book bit by bit. So, mm. I mean, I mean, I could see the advantage in having sort of a retrospective of the book as a whole and seeing how different bits fed into um, the end game and everything else. But it really does feel like we spent so long talking about the book, like we said, most of what we could have said and I... I think there's merit to the idea, but I do think a lot of the episode might just be us winding up repeating ourselves about a lot of things. Yeah, maybe maybe it would be a better idea to do something like that after we've read the, the trilogy. That's what I was about to say. That might be an idea for, like, after we read the trilogy, uh, come back, and at that point I could point out, uh, you know, 
go back and be like, yeah, so this was back all the way in book one that predicts the very end of book three and point point out stuff that might might not come up organically as we're reading through and we could review or talk about it as a whole. That might be a good idea. Let's uh, we'll, we'll keep that in mind for the end of the trilogy. And maybe if we keep doing most accurate predi- predictions at the end of each book, maybe look at talking a little more about that in that episode also. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, he says, I wish, or she, Jordan could be a she. I keep doing that. I wish you all the best and can't wait for next Monday to listen to the next journey. Thank you, Jordan. We appreciate that. And your idea. We are going to keep that in mind. Maybe not exactly the way you describe it, but uh, we'll see. We got another email from Retro Rocket, who we've heard from before. He says, I continue to enjoy watching you guys' podcasts. As Joe would point out, can't watch it. It's a, it's a listening to. He does that to me every, every time. So. <laughs> I just want them to understand that there's no extra medium out there yet. <laughs> I don't want them to like go searching on YouTube for our podcast. It's not there. There's one episode of our podcast on YouTube. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the one. And you, all yeah. all it is is a picture of the symbol for that episode that's on Podbean, and it's just that picture the whole time with the audio behind it. That's right, because there were some so, people who had not trouble downloading it. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. So he says, now that you're actually into the second book. And might have this might have come up in your first episode of book two, but how do you think Sanderson does in his reminders of what happened in the first book and the world they inhabit? We did talk about that a little bit, about how we felt he kind of re-explained some stuff, but not like ad nauseum like some authors do. He says, also a few quotes that I have questions for you guys. So he quotes Orsor saying, you probably didn't expect me to feel pain either. Vin opened her mouth and then paused. Actually, she'd never thought about that. Then she hardened herself. What right does this thing have to chastise me? So he says, what do you think of Vin's dehumanizing reference to the Chandra as a thing? And do you think that the Chandra side in this, his loyalty is enough and that his antagonism is justified by how Vin treats her? I assume that should be how Vin treats him. Or do you take Vin's side that he pushes the contract as evidence of his good intentions, but not sure when this is going to be read, so trying to minimize spoilers? Uh, I guess he's almost antagonistically passive-aggressive in his assertions. So I guess the question is, what do you guys feel about this? She is she. We talked about that last time too. She does refer to him as a thing. Whose side do you take in this? Do you think that the Contra is justified in how he feels about Vin, or that Vin is more justified in how she treats or sore? I think Vin's reasons for having a bit of a, a problem with him are sympathetic, but the lengths that she is going to uh, against him are not. Hmm, makes sense. That they both have kind of a. Yeah, she's clearly disgusted by him because of, even though Kelsier told him to do it, because of what he did to Kelsier's body. I think she just has such a sense of violation about him in general that she's not really willing to open herself up at all to the idea that he really is there to to assist her and help her. This This creature is obviously a creature of contract. My guess is, but my guess is that no Chandra is particularly pleased to be dealing with a master they do it because they want the adium for whatever reason not because they actually care for the person that they're involved with so i think she's expecting too much from him and he's expecting he's not expecting too much from her but because of her attitude she's not going to get so i don't take either one of their sides but at the same time they obviously have uh they each have expectations of each other's that are not being met yeah, that makes sense. What about you, Jamie? Whose side are you on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think there's really a side to be on 
I mean, I've sort of thought of it from a point of view where Finn's grown up as a scar, where they are somewhat treated like things as well. So, I mean, mm. what she, you know, referred to as creatures and don't really have a place. I, so I can kind of see where she gets the attitude from and that she thinks it's okay. I also completely understand that she's so disgusted by the events that unfolded um, involving Orsur. But, I mean, I don't, yeah. She's in a situation she doesn't want to be in. Orsur is in a situation he didn't want to be in, but he's got a contract. So, you know, they're just going to have to stick it out and see. I don't think necessarily either of them are right. They're both making it fairly difficult for each other. You know, no one's going to be the bigger person and come, you know what, we're stuck here. Let's try and make the most of it. Or, you know, this is how I can help you. Making him become a dog is probably not the greatest thing for (laughs) building friendship there. Um, So, yeah, it's sort of like you can understand both sides, but neither of them are right, I think, in this situation. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, but hey, to tie it to Final Fantasy, we got like a Red 13 thing going on, We have right? a Red 13, yeah. I knew that, <laughs> yeah. that was going to come up at some point. We totally do. <laughs> but uh, thanks, Retro Rocket, for being a friend of the podcast for as long as you have and sending us that email. It's awesome. He has a couple more quotes in here that we've already uh, – we've we t- in the last episode we talked about – because obviously he, the last episode that we recorded hasn't come out yet, so he doesn't know that we talked about these things at length. But there's one that uh, we kind of hadn't touched on that I was going to also read here. He says, uh, the quote is, she studied the dark mists, glancing upward just to be certain. This is the first time my bronze has been wrong, she thought with a frown. That's when she was detecting the mist spirit out in the mist and couldn't find him or it. So Retro Rocket says, that really surprised me because I'd always envisioned the mists as white, like a typical fog. But then this references the mist spirit being dark, and I was left wondering how he could blend in with the mists. I think this might be the first reference to the color of the mist themselves. And I kind of wondered what you guys pictured the mist as being like. I'd always pictured it as white now about it, but I guess like a darker color would sort of make sense. You think everything's ash stained and all that sort of stuff. So having it quite a dark color would make sense. Hmm. I think in my mind, it's, it, it does look like fog, but it always comes out at night. So it would be dark. Like everything would be dark mm. at night, I guess. And it's thick enough that it blocks out, you know, the light from the sun or, or not sun, the stars. Or if there's a moon, we haven't really heard about it, I don't think. So, I don't know. I I guess I thought it was fog, but it was just fog in so much darkness that it looked very, very dark. I don't know. Well, I guess if you can't see through it, it blacks out everything else. So, yeah. darkness is all that's left. But obviously, they can see the mist distinctly, separate from everything around it. So, it's not like pitch black. So, I don't know. Mm. That's that's an interesting food for thought, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Dak, Joe, do you guys have any thoughts about how you picture the mists? I always just thought it was like sort of a murky gray sort of color. And I guess this doesn't really like exclude that. So, Yeah, the, the thought in my mind was always dark cloud because, I mean, when you think about it, the reason you can see fog as as white is because of light, I would assume. And if it's dark when it comes out, then you're only going to see kind of a darker cloud of mm. vapor or whatever it is. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, as much as we can make sense of it. Last last email that we received. Thank you, Retro Rocket. I, I did leave a couple of years out, but that was because we discussed them at length last time. So our last, our fourth email is from Jason. And Jason says... 
hey, I can't wait for you guys to start the Well of Ascension now. I've loved everything so far. Thank you for introducing me to Miracle of Sound, by the way. <laughs> the, the Well of Ascension has the best starting line of any Sanderson book, in my opinion. I write these words in steel for anything not said in metal cannot be trusted. Uh, besides maybe The Way of Kings, which does have a good starting line. It's true. Well, depending on whether you consider the first line of The Way of Kings to be the beginning of the preface or the beginning of the prologue or the beginning of chapter one. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, That'll make sense have... to us when we get to that book. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm already asleep. I'm already asleep. Let's go. No, I'm just so what Jason says is uh, the epigraphs in the first Mistborn book were from a piece of writing found by the characters during the story. So... Do you guys have any theories about the epigraphs of this one? Is it another? I mean, he says he's writing the words down, so presumably it's a piece of writing also. But if it is, are they going to find it? Where will they find it? That sort of thing. Hmm. Well, maybe they'll find it at the conventicle of whatever. Saran. Yeah, Says sure. was, was talking about how he was like, I got to get into them libraries there. They got to have some good stuff in them. Yeah. This, uh, maybe there's like a giant... Book. Yeah, <laughs> I I mean when he when he's saying he's slamming it into metal, I almost wonder it's like did he make a giant wall like a mural with all this writing on it? Kind of oh, made the me word think walls of like from Skyrim. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. It almost makes me think of the word walls, the dragon walls in Skyrim. It's like this just big wall with uh, runes and stuff in it. Nice. And presumably wherever he was when he started writing these two was I guess fairly close to where he abandoned Alendi. So probably up in Terrace somewhere, maybe on their journey to the Well of Ascension, they'll come across it. Because I feel if it's metal as well, moving that around, mm. depending on how long it is. Yeah, could be. Um, would be difficult. Of course, by this time, for all we know, he may have been off in hiding, scared that Alendi was going to kill him when he got back from the well. Uh, mm. We don't know exactly when he betrayed him, actually. That's an interesting point. Like, you you, you talked about it like he's on the way to the well, and that's when... Um, Quan turned on him, but I guess we don't know that. It could have been. We also don't know how long that j- that journey took. So, like, if Quan betrayed him, and then like, then like three years later, that's when Rashek ascended or something. Like, it's a long time. Okay, so we got a couple theories. If yeah, if if it really was a big mural uh, or something, then uh, probably he couldn't move it afterwards. So wherever he happened to be writing it is where they're gonna find it. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, that was all our emails. Thank you. Uh, listeners, if you want to send us emails, it's the Sanderlanch at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and uh, also all those sorts of places to communicate with us if you like. For next week, we are reading four chapters again. It's chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11. Chapter uh, 9 is actually the shortest chapter we've ever read so far. So uh, it's very, very short. It's actually one word. <laughs> there's a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy chapter there's like one sentence or something <laughs> so read those four eight nine ten eleven for next week and thanks for listening everyone we will see you then bye bye goodbye bye and we try 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 to keep a little beauty in the world Ooh.
never let it fade. Stopping the recording. <laughs> Did you say music by miracle of sound? Did you say that? Oh, I didn't.